Hello, and welcome back to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. It's genuinely a delight to have uh, as a return guest, Gabrielle Blackwell. Gabby is the SDR manager at Gong. She's a co-host of the podcast Women in Sales, or the, sorry, the Clubhouse uh, group Women in Sales. And she also runs a LinkedIn Live every Friday, empowering how to empower yourself, called the SDR Hotline. Gabby, welcome back. Hey, Marcus. Thanks for having me back. Excellent. For those of you who don't know Gabby, she is one of the future rise or the rising stars today, but she is definitely a future sales leader. So if you haven't followed her on LinkedIn, on Clubhouse, then please make sure you do. She speaks an awful lot of sense for someone so depressingly young. <laughs> and, and I speak as a fat old bald, bald man at the autumn end of my life. It's just a joy to have you back. <laughs> also, I'm really excited to be back. Thank you, Marcus. <laughs> Excellent. Would you mind giving the audience 60 seconds on your background, please? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I, um, I've been in sales for for six years. I started off as a sales development rep at this company called CloudWords. Uh, quickly made my way to being the top performing rep, and and from there was really challenged just to figure out how to operationalize my own success. So over the past few years, have really been focused on how to impart like the experience gained wisdom that I have and being a really successful SDR into uh, equipping my team to be able to have the same level of success along the way have also learned how important it is to take care of oneself personally, mentally, emotionally as well. So also a big, a big advocate for, for mental health, uh, also a big, big advocate for underrepresented groups in sales as well. So I hope that's less than 60 seconds, but that's, that's good. That's, no, me. that's great. <laughs> okay. So, um, we, what we promised today is coming out the audience with both barrels. So let's start with acts of idiocy. Committed by management <laughs> on their SDRs. Oh my gosh. All right. Let's let's hear it. Let's get into it. Okay. So let's start with the things that managers measure. Why do managers measure stuff that is totally bloody irrelevant and doesn't move the needle in the right direction? Want to give me an example? Dial rates. Who cares how oh. many yeah, I feel conflicted about this one because up until a, a few months ago, I was very much in that same that same camp. I think everything has its time and its place. I have heard of organizations who are just like, hey, we need you to do 100 dials a day, the end, regardless of the results. So for somebody who's hitting their daily goals, let's say the weekly goals, monthly goals, doing only 25% of the work, that to me, of course, I'm like, I, I want to explore that. Is there a way that we can become that much more effective? Because they're able to get just as much of a result with a quarter of the the dials than everybody else, that to me is a learning opportunity. I think it's completely idiotic on this one for an organization to go, hey, you've hit your monthly quarter in half the time, but you haven't done as many dials as, as you can. So I want you to dial more. Like that to me is incredibly dismissive and potentially even demoralizing for the SDR, for the person in the SDR role who's doing amazing work. I think on the other end though, like one of the things that I've seen with the team that I have is like, we didn't, we weren't doing enough dials. Like, all right, hey, you're not gonna hit your number only doing seven dials a day. <laughs> so like there, there has to be a balance. There has to be alignment in terms of, I understand how to get success, but we're not gonna hold somebody to some unrealistic dial goal when they're already hitting their goals. I'm like, if you're, if you're doing really well, I'll leave you alone. So those are, I guess like those are the kind of a couple of scenarios that I've seen where I'm like, 
if we just say, let's just do dials for the sake of doing dials, period, that's where you have a big, <laughs> big demonstration of idiocy, or at least you risk looking like an idiot in that regard. I had a client last year when I had the training business, and he was uh, hitting 220% of quota. And his idiot manager came to him and told him he needed to increase his proposal output. Despite the fact 90% of the proposals he sent out converted into cash. So I think the question we should be asking as managers is, why? Why do I want them to achieve a certain activity level? And probably seven a day, I get it that there maybe needs to be an increase. But we need to ask ourselves, what are the activities and the meaningful actions that actually advance the conversation? Speaking to connect and sell, on average, and this is on the basis of 40 million cold calls a year, so there's a lot there and a good statistical base. It takes 33 dial attempts to get one effective and mm-hmm. 14 effectives to secure one meeting, one first Ooh. meeting. Now, when you look at the multipliers on that, that's an awful lot of dead time. And what, what str- I struggle to understand is why is it that most managers are not spending more time trying to work out why is it that we've got such a low conversion rate between activity to the result that we're looking for, the outcome that we want? It gets more depressing when you consider that on average, seven out of eight first meetings do not result in a second, which means that your dial to an advance in the sale is 0.03%. Now, that strikes me as being pitifully ineffective. Yeah. I love this piece that you're you're bringing up, which is I, I was just writing down the you know you need essentially thirty. I'm paraphrasing right now, but thirty three calls to get like one connect, and you need to have like fourteen connects before you get one meeting. When I got into sales, we were going off of uh, InsideSales.com, or I think it's now it's called Zant data, which was right. it's going to take yeah. you what like twelve, fifteen calls to get one connect, one to three connects before, or one to three conversations before you get an actual meeting. So I'm like, wow, it's gotten way harder. That's the first yeah. thing that I thought about. But this is the second part of like why why do managers not invest more time into figuring out why does it take so much to get one meeting? Right. Or like, why does it take so like so many calls to get to one conversation? And I'm going to share this now because I'm I'm going through this learning myself, which is I, I would wonder if a lot of managers actually know how to look at the data in a meaningful way to actually be able to explore these things. Like I literally just learned how to do this two weeks ago. Right. Myself. So I, I was never the kind of manager who's like, we just need to do more activity, just to do more activity. I'm like, I want to, the aspiration is to increase our conversion rates. But in but it's like how like how do I where do I even look as a manager to identify here's the bottleneck and then here's how we need to drill into that bottleneck to find like the micro bottlenecks within that one conversion rate Absolutely. until I have right until I actually have like I have a new boss now uh, Ryan Wong who's awesome and he's been managing sales development teams for as, like for longer than I've even been in sales so this is a person who someone called him like a lifer, right? He's like, he's a sales development lifer. You have these folks who are highly experienced who are able to impart this wisdom onto other folks. But 
every other organization I had been a part of, I was the only sales development leader at these organizations. And I'm the person who's in, like, I was like, I have to go and find out this information for myself. No one was teaching me these things until I came to an organization that actually had the leadership who could equip me with that insight. That's a critical point, which is that if you are the only sales leader, you need to go out and proactively and with humility go out and seek out help. If you have an organization that has the kind of structure that Gong has, then it's incumbent on sales leadership to spend time, invest time in Mm -hmm. coaching middle management. Because the middle managers are the most pivotal people in any sales operation, but they get the least amount of spend. I think they only get about 9% of the overall training budget. And typically, that is turn up, have a load of stuff uh, thrown at you, and then go away with no reinforcement. Their own managers are not on that training, so they don't know what went on. So there's no way to reinforce it. Coaching of middle managers in most organizations from senior leadership is almost non-existent, which is why middle managers in sales, only 6% of them globally are fit for purpose, according to a survey that Jonathan Farrington did um, in December uh, 2020. So let's explore some of this, the questions around where those bottlenecks are. In your experience, where you've been looking at an individual rep's performance and the conversion rate through each stage, what are the triggers, what are the clues that you're looking for to identify common recurrent problems? Yeah, so I'll I'll give an example. So I have the team that I have right now, we are, there's a lot of change that happened last quarter. And so our, our performance went down pretty significantly and we got a new book of accounts as well. And where we're representing different verticals, different industries. And I'm sharing all this just to say, like, there are so many different things that we can look at to say, if we fix this one thing, then things will be better. But those are just really guesses. The thing that I'm looking at right now is rather than trying to guess, like, oh, hey, well, is it the books? Is it this? Is it that? If I just go and I look at the data and I see, all right, I have one rep who's doing the most dials, right? They are potentially working the hardest. If I'm just looking at the numbers in air quotes, they're working the hardest, but they have the lowest conversion, right? So they're making all of these calls, but they're getting the least amount of output in terms of demos being scheduled using this phone channel. So if I actually go in and I look at the data and I go, okay, well, I, I, I really want to understand what happens after they make this dial. Are they actually connecting with someone? So what I'm seeing is like, so like, are they connecting with someone when they get a connect? Are they having a conversation? Meaning like the person's not hanging up with them. And then if they're having a conversation, what happens after that? Are they actually getting a demo or is it, what's the disposition that happens when we're having a conversation? So again, I have, I'm thinking about one person on my team in particular has the highest amount of output in terms of just pure calls. What I'm starting to see is that I'm like, actually, this person has the highest connect to demo or conversation to demo right on the team. But the biggest bottleneck is the fact that this person is only actually connecting with a human being, the human being we want to connect with 3% of the time. Mm. So, right. So I'm like, it's, it's not necessarily a matter of like, they're, they don't know what to do over the phone because the conversion from like, they have a conversation to a demo is, is very high. They're incredibly effective over the phone. They just need to have more conversations. So 
I don't want to say, hey, call more because you're already lighting up the charts, right? I'm like, and at some point in time, if I say call more, are we actually focusing in on the conversation? I'd rather get this person to a conversation than just say do more dials. But I want to understand like what is keeping this person from being able to actually connect with the right people? So like how many, like then I'll go in and I'll look to see how many of these calls that we're making where it's not, where we're not getting a connect. Like, what is the disposition behind that? Are we leaving a voicemail? Are these numbers even in service? Are we getting a gatekeeper, right? Or an operator? Um, Because from there, then I can start to figure out how can I coach this person more effectively other than just saying, I need you to do more calls. So my pal, Ryan Reisett, taught me something very valuable, which is we need to clean the lists and we need to identify the picker-uppers. If you have your SDRs call lists that are made up of picker-uppers, i.e. Mm-hmm. people who pick up once are likely to pick up again, and if you identify those people who do not pick up, then you can drive the activity through a different channel. So, for example, you might start using LinkedIn's mobile app and leave a video or a voicemail through the message facility on your phone via the LinkedIn app, because you're not going to get them to pick up, but they may well respond if you've identified that they are transitioning from the passive looking where they are learning how to the place where they are starting to look at their options and seeing possibilities, and they're in active looking mode. And I think part of the problem is that often we don't look at the situation. We don't ask the right questions as managers, and salespeople don't either. You know, it's it's a partnership between manager and salesperson. If it takes you 30 dials to get one effective, which is what your rep is doing, then you have to ask the question, well, why and what can we do to reduce that number to a more manageable load so that I can spend more time in front of the customer. We, we know from other research that on average, salespeople spend between one-eighth, 12%, and 21%, one-fifth, of their time actually speaking to customers. That means you're spending anywhere between 79 and 88% of your time not speaking to customers. Now, that strikes me as monumentally expensive. Mm-hmm. And it's the kind of thing that should be taking the best brains in your company, and they should be applying some heavy uh, thought power to trying to resolve that. But very few organizations do, because I see sales and marketing organizations doing what was always done, and they're not questioning it. What? Why? I'd be curious to hear your, your take on this. Like, why why aren't folks spending more time trying to figure out how to increase selling time, like customer-facing time? They suffer from what I consider to be an act of gross misconduct and an entirely sackable offense, which is, this is the way everyone in the industry does it. Yeah. They've always done it. Anyone who says that, as far as I'm concerned, is already extinct. They're they're a dead man walking. They just don't know it yet. If they're not challenging themselves and constantly asking those simple but difficult questions, why why did we start doing it this way? 
Why do we continue to do it this way? Is there a better way? And I don't think anyone, not anyone, but you know, 98% of the market does any of that kind of introspection, asking those tough questions. You know, 45 minutes a week with you, a legal pad and a pen, no interruptions and asking questions like that in order to come up with better answers and better questions. Yeah, no, definitely. There is this, it does seem as though there is this addiction to just being busy for the sake of being busy. It's like, hey, like if we look like we're working hard, then everything will get figured out versus taking that time to think through, all right, hey, like I know what it's like to work hard. Is there a better way? <laughs> like it likes to actually spend the time and the resources to explore it. I can reflect on past experiences that I've had at, at former employers. And it's like, you know, we start, we start asking those questions and someone's like, no, 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 no. We don't have time for this. We have to get this thing done. We have this way. This is our way of getting it. Like you don't understand. This is how we need to do this. I just marvel at how people can repeatedly beat their head against the wall and then complain that the brick is giving them a headache. <laughs> We've got to get smarter. And particularly now, the context in which buyers buy has changed markedly since 2010. Unfortunately, the paradigms of fusty old farts at my age who are in positions of leadership, that hasn't changed. So they haven't changed the way they compensate. They haven't changed the way they measure. And shareholders, again, I, I, this, this is going to turn into a, a two-minute rant, but I need to get it off my chest. Um, Go off. Shareholders are not the reason why we are in business. Customers are. And shareholder value is a shit metric to focus on. What we need to be is focused on delivering fantastic outcomes and a series of wow experiences and stay relevant to our customer. If we do that, we make shed loads of money and our shareholders make pots of cash as well. But most organizations are driven by shareholder value. They're driven by a drive for growth at any cost. That means that they uh, strip out next month or next quarter's pipeline, and that creates more pressure on the SDRs and the salespeople, who then suffer from burnout. There's over-assignment of quota uh, because they want to hit the VC or the private equity or the market's target. And then a few people are successful. So you get the CFO and the CEO clinking uh, glasses of champagne because they've hit their number. But your best people are now a flight risk because they're pissed off because they missed their quota. And we really have to rethink this. Your thoughts? I was going to say, have you like just looked at my resume? <laughs> just read off some of the experiences that I've had in the past. I, at least just listening to what you had shared, I think one thing I can appreciate about Gong, right, is we do have, we have this operating principle called create raving fans. And uh, there is you know, artist. Is this to say that we're perfect? Like, no, but there is an aspiration. There is a focus and it comes in from day one that says we strive to create an experience for customers that they are willing to rave about, right? Like we're going to meet the customer needs. We have, this is not to be like a, a dig in, uh, against any of our, our competitors, but 
even if you look at our headcount and what our revenue facing team looks like, we invest so much more into customer support, customer success, professional services than any like anyone else in our category. Like it, that's specific to like capturing capturing the conversations and things like that. So there is such a focus on we're going to enable people to be incredibly successful with what they want to do through leveraging our platform. And and I think there could be this like subtle if we recognize like hey like where where is leadership spending the majority of their time because there's I've been at companies in the past where we spend more time prepping for the board meeting <laughs> than we do for any customer call. So I'm like, all right, what, what would happen if we started to dedicate or, or started to transfer and redirect how much we invest into this once a quarter meeting into like every single conversation that we have that's customer facing? That then raises the next enormous question. And the enormous question is what needs to change in executive leadership's compensation and measurement? for an organization to change its culture sufficiently for improvements in sales around the customer's success to sustain. Because until that happens, it's going to be really very, very difficult. I mean, Gong's in a luxurious position because you happen to have hit the market very early. You've become the dominant player in your space and you are immensely successful. So the market doesn't give you grief. It will do, though, the moment you start to see a tail off in dividends and uh, in returns. And the problem is that we are operating on quarterly business cycles. Now, what we have to understand is in the global scheme of things, we are competing with China. The Chinese companies are operating on 100-year plans. One of my favorite stories is at the end of the Korean War, the American delegation rented three floors of the Hilton for their uh, negotiation team for three months. The Chinese delegation rented a five-bedroom house for three years. It was already a foregone conclusion who was going to win that negotiation. And uh, we really need to rethink how businesses operate and how the capitalism has shifted. Because I, I think capitalism is a fantastic system if its intent is to serve the customer, the community, the staff, the partners, and the suppliers. And the byproduct is we make good money and we end up with customers for life who are raving fans who do most of our marketing for us. Uh, We end up with employees who bring in great talent because they love working there. And you have that culture within Gong. But I look at the, uh, the top 100 SaaS companies have a median profit uh, margin of 0%, according to a report I read a couple of weeks back. 0%. The top 100 SaaS companies on the planet. That means to me that what they're doing is they're focused on the exit and on their share price. It's not focused on creating a really strong, sustainable business with great fundamentals, a fantastic culture where uh, employees are highly engaged. Um, and you only have to look at the OTE, uh, the on-target earnings attainment of their sales forces, um, because um, I just saw another report last week 
um, where on average, I mean, even in the top companies, 73% OTE attainment, but lots of them were down in the uh, low 40s. So whatever they're, um, you know, they're pretending you can earn at a company, the reality is most people are living off their basic. There's something that you, you'd shared because you'd ask the question, what needs to change like, or what needs to shift in order to support that kind of shift where you have so much focus on the shareholder value versus, let's say, the focus on the customer, focus on the, the employee. And you'd even mention this piece around, like, there's, there are fundamentals that have to be hit. I've already shared about, like, my own learning journey. It hasn't been until this past quarter that someone has actually walked me through, here's how you can look at data not just on the surface level, not just on the conversion level, but in the levels underneath to be able to have that much more targeted coaching. And these to me are, are what I see as like, these are, this is me gaining access to these fundamentals rather than looking at just the exit or let's say drill it down to even like the SGR level rather than me stepping into the first day of the month and just trying to figure out, okay, well, how do I hit hundred percent of my quota this month? And that, because that, like that right there seems overwhelming. It's like, what, like, what are all the things that have to happen between here and, and between right where we're at today and where we need to be at the end of this month? What are all the little tiny things that have to happen? And like, what are the little tiny things that I can look at to let me know whether or not we're pacing ahead or behind so that I can actually start solution earing versus just saying, I, I guess like what I'm really trying to kind of share here is, I feel as though a lot of managers, a lot of leaders don't know that many tools or don't have that many tools, don't know that many tricks to actually enable their people to do very well in these situations. Most of the time, I don't want to say like everybody, but what I've observed is everybody has that one thing. I'm going to come in as a leader and I'm going to say, do more activities. Or I'm going to say, hey, if we can get this pitch down, (laughs) then like if we get the pitch down, then everything is going to be really great. Or if we invest in this one trade show, we're going to be able to hit all of our pipeline goals. And it's like, these are Hail Mary attempts. So I think there's a lot of leaders who know Hail Mary attempts, but to be able to actually go in and say, hey, listen, do you know the fundamentals of coaching, of training, of managing? And can you actually pass that on to other people at all the different levels of the business so everyone knows how to get 1% better every single day? Like if we don't have that, then yeah, I think that all we can really do is figure out how do we do Hail Marys and basically present ourselves as we know what we're doing to the board. This again, there are some really simple things that every manager can implement immediately. If you want half to 1% daily improvement, half a percent will deliver nearly 300% performance improvement in the course of a year. 1% will deliver a 1,400% performance improvement over the course of a year, done consistently. Simple thing. Make sure every one of your salespeople and your managers and your leaders is capturing three lessons a day. Make your culture a learning culture and mm-hmm. make it mandatory. Make those lessons meaningful. So it's not just they're going through the process of just treading water. Meaningful lessons. So they need to reflect. And every day reflection is a part of a salesperson's job. I fundamentally believe that there is a 50-50 partnership between an employee and an employer. It is the employee's responsibility to invest in themselves. 
What I'm frustrated by is that your average salesperson is functionally illiterate the minute they leave college or university. (laughs) They read the sports pages, they read the tabloids, but they don't invest in themselves. Every day, an hour of study. Yep. Selling is not something that you learn once in the same way. I mean, if you went to a heart surgeon and the last time they looked at a medical textbook or a journal was in 1986, I've got to be honest with you, I'd be reluctant to go under the knife. And the decisions that we catalyze with our clients and facilitate are life-changing. They, I mean, you know, if they buy gong, yeah. they don't. The impact on their business can be tens, 20, 30, 50, 100% improvement in performance. And the, the change in their business is massively impactful. So they want to make the right decision. But most Mm -hmm. do not do that. Again, why? It's simple. So I was in a a conversation yesterday where you had, there were were a number of like sales trainers. So these are folks who are, the folks in this room, they're like, hey, like we are, you know, we we were practitioners, like high, Uh high performing practitioners. We come off, we start doing sales training. We're also doing, like, we're now, we continue to be professional practitioners who are teaching practitioners how to do their job, right? So it's not, they're not really marketing. These are folks who are not necessarily marketing to leaders, managers, or anything like that. They're very much focused on the first line or the um, frontline reps. And we were talking about sales books specifically. It's like, hey, so folks were like, hey, listen, I don't, I, like, you had one person who's like, I've read all of these different sales books and here are all the things that I've learned. And then you get met with like the rest of the group who's like, sales books are dumb. Like throw them out. You're like, really the only way to learn is to just do the job. If we take a step back and think through like, yes, like I think there is so much of sales that is you learn it through experience. You can't just sit around and read all day and not actually match that up with practice. There's no, 100%. yeah, there's no argument for that whatsoever. And also I, I think there's also the, Hey, listen, if I'm only, I think about the experience that I had as an SDR, which was, I was very successful initially through brute force alone. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I was like, I don't care what you tell me. Like I will punch through like, You're talking about like banging a head against the wall. And I was like, whatever, if I have to do it bloody hard, I'm hard headed. Like the wall is coming down until you meet a wall. That's even like, that's even more reinforced. And then you have to learn how to get smarter. And so I'm like, there's going to be certain things where if I just go in and all I know how to do is what I've what I've done thus far. And I'm not actually going out and seeking. It might be through a book. It might be through talking to the best performing um, people in that role. It might be going outside the organization and actually taking the time to learn and really be, I think, vulnerable in the sense of, I don't know what I don't know and I want to get better. Can you please help me? But if we're not actually taking the time to go and figure out how do I become that much better at my craft? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, like then it makes sense why you have these leaders who don't know how to teach people anything else because they don't know anything else. They know this one way of doing things that work for them. But when you start introducing 20, 30 plus people, it's like, okay, you're probably going to have 2% of your group who, when they leverage this tactic, when they leverage this methodology, it works for them. But what about everybody else? Like that to me is a failure. Absolutely. Well, again, I think... What we need to do is we need to have a mix. You need to invest in yourself. It's not like there aren't fantastic resources out there. People like Justin Michael and Salesborgs. There's uh, your uh, podcast and the rest of your uh, hotline. There's uh, online training. There's videos. There's audios. 
some books that everybody should read. Demand Side Sales is a must. If you have not read Demand Side Sales by Bob Mester, M-O-E-S-T-A, you are doing yourself a massive disservice. The Marketing Rebellion by Mark Schaefer. The Context Marketing Revolution by Matthew Sweezy. Absolute musts. Read the research by Corporate Visions and watch their videos. Download their eBooks. Simon Bowen, I think probably the freshest mind in sales on the planet today. His models method, uh, just stunning. And the mistake I think people uh, make is that they spend so much of their time doing what made them successful 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, and they don't adapt. Um, Mm -hmm. A buddy system is really key. I think having a regular bookend at the beginning of uh, the week and at the end of the week. What are the big objectives and targets and goals that you have for the week? What are you trying to achieve? At the end of the week, how well did you do against your goals? Um, Mm. A daily huddle is really important between the, uh, the manager and salesperson and salespeople. I think we don't have enough ride-alongs with salespeople because managers keep claiming that they're too busy. Pre-call planning, uh, rehearsal, post-call debriefing, in writing, verbally, red team, white team meetings before an important meeting, coaching. All of this stuff is uh, entirely available to every single manager. None of this requires enormous investment of cash. What it does require is investment of time and thoughtfulness. I think managing inclusively and having your team share ideas. You know, in that daily huddle, what are my three big goals for today? How did I do against yesterday? What am I going to do to catch up any shortfall in yesterday's behaviors? What were my three big lessons? And teach one of them. What were my big fears, failures, and fuck-ups? That's yeah. a good one as well. Because when you voice them, they tend to weaken. Yeah. yeah? yeah. And capturing, those, capturing that information. Daily accountability, where you hold yourself accountable to your team and to your manager. Now, all of this can be improved. And I've seen this work in practice, in the real world, in small, medium, and large companies across 500 different segments of the market. When I had my training business, my average client would grow 300%. And almost no organization that I've ever worked in, I cannot find at least 400% growth potential just by stopping acts of idiocy with we've always done it that way. Yeah, I'm I'm just like processing, right, as you're sharing. And one thing that I can think through, it's a little bit of a paradox, I guess, because with sales, you're so external facing, that to say, hey, like what what can enable you to be that much better at like being that external facing powerhouse is by doing the inner work first. So well, you do that you know, really well. I'm working, I could always get better, right? That's that's the thing. I think there's there's always opportunities to get better. And I think this is this might be the mindset, right? There is the mindset that says, hey, we've always done things this way, right? If you want to boil that down to so a fixed mindset. Versus, all right, well, I think there's always ways of getting better. And I'm really curious. I'm really curious about how much more I can grow and how much more I can develop. One of the things that I've I started to share with folks is like sales. 
sales is a learning profession, right? Like, so if we're not learning every single, I would share a daily, a daily structure with the team of, Hey, like, here's how you can run your day. And a lot of it was influenced by, okay, well, here's how I set up my day when I was an SDR. And so it's like the first thing that I did is I spent 30 minutes just learning, right? If I talked to the top or like when I, even when I was in, in the account executive position, <laughs> I struggled mightily initially, mightily. And so I, I met up with our top, our top performing AEs and I just learned about what they were doing. And it was kind of a surprise to me that no one talked about how do we pitch our technology? How do we ask better? Like it wasn't necessarily asking better questions isn't important, but we weren't talking about what happened in the call. We were talking about the preparation that it took to be exceptional during the call. So a lot of it had to do with, right, if you have your eight, your eight or your nine to five of like, this is your revenue focused time. This is your customer facing time. Don't mess with it. It's like, well, hey, well, what do you do from eight to nine, you know, from 7:30 to nine? And what do you do from five to six, five to seven every single day? And a lot of that had to do with, all right, I'm going to learn more about my market. I'm going to attend conferences. I'm going to um, reach out to folks and have informational interviews. It was all about I'm going to educate myself to become that much more relevant in the marketplace. And so I think there are things that we can do like as managers. One of the things that I'm thinking through right now is uh, where I get a lot of inspiration for how I can coach comes from professional coaches, specifically for elite level organizations like the NBA. So the person that I think about is Phil Jackson, who was the coach um, who, you know, he's coached Michael Jordan. He's coached Kobe Bryant. He's coached like Shaquille O'Neal. He is like one of the most illustrious coaches period. And so, right. So it's like one of the things that he talks about quite a bit is creating these routines for the team. And so these are like these daily standups. It's these reflective moments. It's like, how do we cultivate a sense of teamwork where people can share and they can, where the the frontline folks can challenge each other to become that much better. And the coach here is more so the guide in all of this. So everything that you're sharing, it's like, there are so many other organizations or industries who are already doing that work. (laughs) So we could just like repurpose it and implement those into our sales practices. Let let me, uh, set you a challenge when okay. you contacted him and you said uh, what was his name again Jackson oh I've never talked to him personally I've read I just read his books right so when you contacted him presumptive question there uh, knowing the answer already and you said Mr. Jackson I believe your history is my future mm. and I'm going to ask a huge favor you're welcome to say no would you be willing to be my mentor for 15 to 20 minutes a month? And I promise you three things. I will always come prepared. I will always see through whatever we agree in terms of actions. And at any point, if you do not think that I'm stepping up to the plate, then you can fire me. Would you be my mentor? I gladly accept that challenge. Excellent. I look forward to that hearing that Phil Jackson is now your mentor. So, oh my gosh, that'd be yep. insane. There you go. Well, uh, be careful what you wish for. Um, I know. Uh, next thing, there is something every salesperson, every AE, every SDR can do. And what they can do at the end of a sales conversation with a prospect is say, do you mind if I ask you for some feedback? How did I do today? Did today's conversation meet your expectations? 
and have you seen better? And then mm. sit back and take the, take the lesson. Now, not everyone will give it, and some people will try and pander to being nice to you, but many of them will look at that and they will think, you know, that was brave, and let me give them both barrels because they wanted it. And then mm -hmm. the only correct response to constructive criticism is thank you. Your customers are your best teachers. Yep. And every single sales call could result in a valuable lesson. There are four good outcomes from any sales call. Yes, with an order. Yes, with a clear future next step or an advancement. Sorry, a, a, a no with a clear future next step. A no with a referral and always no with a lesson. If you come off mm -hmm. a call and you haven't learned something, you have wasted your time. Yeah. I'm going to give a shout out to uh, Sarah Brazier. Uh, found out this is what she does. So um, I was in this conversation and she was in this conversation yesterday. We were talking about learning and the avenues that we take to learn. And so we're salespeople selling to salespeople at Gong. So every So what she had shared is in all her conversations with the sales leaders that she's engaging with in a sales cycle, she asks them those questions and she'll, she'll ask questions such as like, Hey, like I, you know, she's been in the AEC for less than a year and she's, she's curious about how to she become a better AE. And so she's asking the sales leaders like, Hey, what do you see your, your best AEs doing? What do you see your worst AEs doing? Where do you see the room? Like, where do you see areas of improvement? Right. And so she's like, every single conversation that she has during the sales cycle, she's asking these questions and she's getting that much better. And I think the last time I had checked conversion rate, she also has the highest conversion rates across the entire funnel for like the segment that she's in too. So really? I think there's a, I think there's something really important. I, I, yeah. What What is it you think that might be different about her? So when I first started at Gong, and so she's an AE in the commercial segment. I'm an SDR manager in the commercial segment. And one of the things that uh, I, when I first came in, what my like the senior director was like, hey, we really want to, we have an aspiration to see our conversion rates go up higher, right? So we need to understand how are people able to actually be able to hit a higher conversion rate. And so when I first came in, let's say that the segment average for all like whether it's SDR sourced or if it's account executive sourced or if it's an inbound, just on average, it was um maybe it was in like the the low twenty percent conversion rates. Mm -hmm. But then you thought Sarah's conversion rate was at like 40, 50%. You're like, what? How did it's like, how does this happen? And the next and the next top performing conversion rate was 30%. So I so I went to Sarah, I'm like, hey, like, how do you how do you explain this? Right? Like, what do you like what's going on? And a lot of what she's doing is focusing on the, fo like, I, I think it's, it's, if we were to go back, if this is a callback to that graph that you had shared of where are people in their stages or in their journey, right? So she, she's highly focused on folks who are already engaging with Gong content. So she has specific reports built for website visitors for last interesting moments grabbing from Marketo. She's looking at who's already following gong through LinkedIn, for example. And so whether that's an account executive or an SDR or a finance manager, like she's making contact with people who are already engaging with us. And that's a key part of her, at least that's, this is what I'm, this is what I'm observing and what she had shared with me is this is a key part of what enables her to be successful. So potentially one of the big reasons that she has this incredibly high conversion rate, at least from the very, very get go is, is her, 
it comes all the way down to her prospecting list and where is she actually finding these accounts and these contacts and where and where is the conversation starting off from to begin with. And the fact that she's got the intellectual uh, humility and the courage to ask for feedback. Well, this raises another really important question, which I don't think many sales leaders or managers are really asking themselves. Is what passes for great in sales still fit for purpose? Because I fundamentally think that the context has changed. In the past, we've always wanted salespeople who had a drive, will to win, highly competitive, but certainly in most technology, um, most technologies, we are just one tiny moving part. If you're mm-hmm. in cyber, chances are you're one of 20 vendors that a bank has looking after their security. And you're only one piece. If you are not collaborative, you're not going to be making many sales. If you do not have good business acumen, and this mm-hmm. speaks to another really important point. Almost no sales organizations train their salespeople. And I know lots of salespeople who've been selling 20, 30 years, and they haven't a clue about the moving parts in their customers' businesses. Yeah, you know, I looked at Sarah's profile. You know, she got some pushback from a sales director uh, who complained because she called at the end of Q4. I get it, and there was a bit of pushback, but she's absolutely right. Just because he didn't like it doesn't mean that she should stop her activity, but maybe she, what she should be doing is using the tail end of Q4 to modify her message and uh, find a way to create engagement. But you know, on the business acumen side, I've just done a series of really interesting interviews with CXOs, CEOs, CFOs, CEOs, CMOs, CROs, chief technology officers, chief procurement officers, chief people officers, to find out what it's what they do day to day. What are the jobs they're trying to get done? What are their yep. struggling moments? What are the obstacles they face? What are the roadblocks they're facing? What are the fires they're trying to put out? Who's successful if they're successful? Who suffers if they fail to do a good job? And also to find out what they expect for and love when they meet a salesperson. Without exception, every one of them loves a good sales call. They look forward to them. What they're looking for is to leave smarter. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, if you don't know how their business runs and you don't come and challenge them, which every one of them said they wanted, then you're going to vomit out a load of product information and be completely irrelevant. Because that's that's a killer. Sorry, go ahead. No, you don't have to. Sorry at all. Um, there's a book that I, the sales book that I've appreciated the most has been Insight Selling. I forget like who the exact authors are, but I believe it's like a Rain Group. The, the authors are from the Rain Group, and in what they're proposing in Insight Selling is the difference between the rep who gets the business and the rep who comes in second best let's look at like what is happening in between the first and the second. And if we can understand that, then we might be able to understand how can we become that much better at engaging with our, with our, uh, with our buyers. And this is what I remember from the book. It's like a lot of it has to do with what you're sharing right now, which is how do we 
as salespeople show up in these conversations and deliver insights that can actually enable somebody else, like a buyer, to think about their problems, their world, like the job that they have to get done in a different way. This is exactly the book. Yes. <laughs> um, so by Mike Schultz and John Doerr, D-O-E-R-R. Yes. If I thought about what enabled me to be really successful when I first started in sales in the conversations that I was having and why I thought they were like uh, uh, the conversations that I was having, the conversations that my peers were having at that exact same company were much different. The, my peers were saying, Hey, like I'm going to run through my scripts. I'm going to ask qualification questions. And if they meet our qualifications, I'm booking a meeting with them. The end, it's very about us. And so the way I try and approach the conversations was much more about, okay, like I'm doing the, I said, I was doing the prep work. I was having informational interviews. I was reading literature. I was attending webinars. I was listening to calls. I was talking to our CS folks because I really just wanted to understand like, why do, like, why, who should even care about our technology (laughs) to begin with? I can spew out a bunch of product information, but honestly, who cares? So I was like, I need to understand why anyone cares. And if I can under, if I, if I, if I can understand it and I can articulate that back in a meaningful way, I'm going to be so dangerous in a a positive light. So this is something that I'm like, this is the work. (laughs) I think like this to this to me is the work of sales is how do I enable myself to be relevant in my market? And one part of that, a sliver of that is understanding my product. The bigger part of this is, hey, I have like, what is it for me? The the benefit that I can have as a salesperson is I have closer proximity to the rest of the marketplace potentially than this one single buyer, this one single company has. So if I understand all the different ways that people are able to accomplish the exact same goal that this person over here, this company over here is trying to accomplish, like the multiple ways that our solution can support the delivery of accomplishing the goals of that project, I become incredibly valuable because I I possess insights and I can share those insights. It's not about me being like a master, right? Or like being like the person who knows every single thing about our product. It's much more about, all right, what are all the different use cases that our product can now enable and what are they able to actually accomplish through that unlocking of and if I can tell that story in a meaningful way, I'm able to resonate so much more powerfully with the people who I need to resonate with. Outstanding. And again, I, I have to say, if only more salespeople thought like that. Um, I'm going <laughs> to get uh, Mike and John, I'm going to try and get Mike and John onto the podcast as a result of this. Thank you so much for the recommendation. Look, yeah. we're coming to the top of the hour. Tell me this, what, what are you struggling with? What are you wrestling with at the moment? Ooh, I am struggling, wrestling with, it's kind of what I think probably inspired this conversation. Really being able to balance care and compassion as a leader while also holding people accountable, right? So I've recently been able to, not say lock down Kevin Dorsey, but I finally had a mentorship session with him. I've been pursuing this for so long. And I'm like, this is somebody who does this really, really well. So he's, he's, he's been really influential in, in helping me approach how demonstrating 
holding people to a higher standard is just another another expression of showing care and compassion. Absolutely. So really trying to figure out how to like whittling it down to the how now how do you do that in action? So I don't know that I'm struggling with it, but I'm just now doing this, <laughs> and um, I'm in uh, I'm enjoying the learning journey. The other one that you re- uh, two others that you really want to reach out to. David Weiss, W-E-I-S-S, and Tom Castley, both of them are at Outreach. Tom, T-O-M, C-A-S-T-L-E-Y, and David Weiss. Huge shout out to them. Fantastic sales leaders. Okay, I will reach out. Wonderful. Okay, Uh, what are you reading, watching, listening to at the moment that you'd recommend? Ooh, the book that I'm reading right now is called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by uh-huh. Patrick. Lynch, yeah. uh, yes, that's so I'm, I've got about 20 more, 20 more pages of that book. I've really been enjoying it because I'm looking at it. and I was like, oh, my gosh, our team is dysfunctional. <laughs> That's like, that's like, we realize, yeah. So I'm, that is the book that I'm reading right now. I'd highly recommend, I mean, for, for anyone, especially leaders, really, it's like holding up a mirror. Well, <laughs> and the, wow, the, okay. The, the next book by Patrick Lencioni you should read is Death by Meeting. Oh, yes. I have that in my... Uh... It's fabulous. Everything that he's written so far, I've found massively insightful and incredibly helpful. I think the death by, I think I saw his death by meeting book first and it's in my reading list. It's in my like two, two purchase list. And I saw this one. Uh, I was like, all right, I'm going to, this title's too good to ignore right now. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Okay. And I won't ask you about uh, a golden ticket, but I will ask you about a blind spot. What blind spot, what's one blind spot that you think that many managers have that they should uh, become aware of? I think kind of what we've already shared during this conversation today, this piece around really understanding how to look at data to create solutions for like, I mean, one for ourselves, but also for the, for the individuals that are really looking to us for guidance and directions. Here's me kind of like being like vulnerable or falling on the sword is uh, three months ago, I didn't know how to help my team. My team was struggling and I didn't know how to help them, right? I was like, I am not doing my job because there was something that I didn't know how to do. And what I didn't know how to do was to, all right, hey, like I'm looking at the data, I'm finding the bottleneck. Now I need to understand like, what is the bottleneck within the bottleneck, right? And how do I solutioneer to that one specific thing to open to open it up versus I need to do everything, <laughs> right? Or Or even worse is, we see that maybe one person is struggling with something and we end up doing a training for everyone when it really should have only been for that one person. So I think the biggest blind spots, at least this is what I'm observing and seeing even with my colleagues, like things that we're trying to get better at is really being able to dig into the data and make sense out of it and then turn that into meaningful training and coaching for the individuals or for the team at large. Very interesting. I, I'm just um, starting work with company that allows you to dig into those micro moments and help the individual or your team deal with those moments in a sale or within a particular part of the conversation. It's a company called Mobile Practice and definitely worth investigating them. 
I'll introduce you as well, because I think you and Ben will have a really meaningful conversation. All right. It really is very, very interesting. Just being able to take that literally 30 seconds and then precisely coach and develop it and have them practice it um, and then be able to use that practice to be able to uh, enhance the skill and turn it into habit. Mm -hmm. Just genius. I love it. Looking forward to learning more. Yeah. Brilliant. Gabby, how can people get hold of you? Yeah, on LinkedIn. So I think it's like linkedin.com slash in slash Gabrielle Blackwell. So feel free to follow me on LinkedIn, reach out over there. That's where I'm most easily accessed. And when do you run your Women in Sales event on Clubhouse? Yeah, every Saturday at 2 p.m. Central Time. Right. So, uh, every, yeah, that's every Saturday with my co-host, Alexine Mudoir, who's also been on the Inquisitor podcast. Um, yeah. Also do the, the SDR hotline every Friday at 11 a.m. Central, 12 p.m. Eastern. So, yeah. Excellent. Gabrielle Blackwell. Thank you. Thanks, Marcus. So this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you found this insightful and informative, and I'd be amazed if you haven't, Uh, then please like, comment, share, and subscribe. And if you feel the urge, then go to Apple Podcasts, scroll below the fold, and leave an honest review. One or five stars, don't care, or anything in between, but leave an honest review. And if you're the owner or the CEO of a tech company, the 10 to 50 million mark, and your objective is to grow a strong, solid business built on real fundamentals that's sustainable and want you want to achieve sustainable hypergrowth so the wings and wheels don't come off, where your revenue operations team, marketing, sales, customer success, account growth, SDRs, pre-sales are all aligned around the customer and highly engaged so that you keep customers for year after year, decade after decade. Then let's schedule a time for a brief conversation. Now, if you're not yet familiar with it, we've recently launched a global community called Sales of Force for Good. And our mission is to remind us that we exist because of, not in spite of the customer. Our role in sales is to serve. What we're trying to do is raise the bar in the selling profession and to make it an aspirational career choice for the next generation of salespeople and sales leaders. If you're interested in meeting up or having a chat, then please email me Marcus at laughs-last.com or DM me on LinkedIn. In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.